Isn't it awesome to be able to gather together here on a Sunday morning to draw aside from the world, from the busyness of life, and to worship our awesome God? Today I'm speaking about drifting. We are all on this journey called life, but sometimes we just drift with the flow. We drift away from what we know God really wants us to do. On April the 14th, 1912, the Titanic departed on its maiden voyage, carrying 2,208 people. It was believed to be an unsinkable ship, incapable of destruction. It contained many types of people. There was the rich and the poor, the famous and the insignificant. But then the impossible and unthinkable happened. Even after hitting that iceberg, there was little reason for panic or concern amongst the passengers. The ship was in good hands. It was heading to a great destination. The people had no idea of the signs of impending danger and destruction around them. It's always good for us to review our progress in life. It's very easy to lose our passion and our vision and just to go with the flow. John told the church at Ephesus that they had lost their first love for God. How are you getting on with your personal faith in Jesus Christ? Part of my role as a pastor is to recognize the unique talents of individuals attending this church and to help equip them to serve this body while expanding the ability of the church to fulfill its mission here in Topol. You know, there's a lot of teaching in the world today on vision and purpose. How are you fulfilling God's vision and purpose on, for your life? In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, We are His workmanship, uniquely crafted and divinely designed for good works. God has made each one of us. We're all different. We have been made, we have been designed to do good works for God. And so we're to pursue personal intimacy with Jesus Christ and we're to show his love to those around us. But in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, it gives us a warning. It says, we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. You know, at our uh, men's breakfasts, once a term, we get a different speaker, and we get people to share their testimony. And for most guys, when they share their testimony, they talk about a time when they sort of drifted away. When they were going through life, things seemed sweet. Everything seemed to be working out. But then something happened because they had drifted away from the Lord. 
I read a newspaper article about a beach rescue. There was a guy called Malcolm who heard a scream for help. He grabbed his boogie board and he swam out through metre-high waves to rescue his sister and another man who had also tried to save her from a deadly rip. Malcolm said it was rough, the current was strong, and they couldn't stay in the one place. They were exhausted, so I put them both on my boogie board and I swam off to get help. There's always rips on the beach, but I'm a good swimmer and I surf, he said. I also read about a man who fell off a pier and was drowning. Nearby was a, another man who was an excellent swimmer, sunning himself in a deck chair. He heard the man's cries and could have saved him, but chose not to. We're all exposed to dangerous currents in life. Currents like wanting to be popular, compromising the truth, pleasing our friends, and I guess that being a pastor is a bit like being a member of the Surf Life Patrol, making sure that people swim between the flags and helping those that get into difficulty. But there's a few things that it's helpful to know about drifting. First, firstly, drifting requires absolutely no effort. You just need to relax and take it easy. Stop paddling, stop tacking against the wind, and your boat is highly likely to drift. And currents are often invisible. Drifting is often an unconscious process. When we lived on Niue Island, I used to do a lot of scuba diving. And they used to say that Niue has the clearest water in the world because it's a coral island, there's no rivers pouring sediment into the sea, there's no industrial discharge into the water, it's very deep surrounding the island and it's quite isolated from other islands. So I used to go scuba diving and one day I was scuba diving and I saw this beautiful brand new fishing line on the bottom of the sea at about 100 feet down. And these, the local um, Nuaeans used to troll for deep sea fish, big tuna and Spanish mackerel. And here was this new line, and it had obviously been snagged or broken, or a fish had broken it. And so I'm on my scuba, and I start winding up this line. And I'm quite interested to see it, what's at the end of it, whether there's a really nice lure, or whether there's a, a dead fish, or what is at the end of this line. Now, when you're on scuba, if you're at, down at 100 feet, you use up your oxygen quite quickly because you're under a lot of pressure. And the other thing is, if you're down over 100 feet, because of the nitrogen that you're taking in, because it's concentrated, you can become narked or lightheaded. And so I'm winding in this line, and, and then suddenly I look at my depth gauge and I've only got 500 pounds of air left. And I'm supposed to be up near the surface when I get to 500 pounds. And you've got to be very careful when you rise to the surface that you don't do it too quickly because that oxygen in your veins 
it expands as you rise and it causes bends. And there was no decompression unit on Niue Island. And if I suddenly ran out of oxygen and had to go straight up, I would get the bends and I would die. And so I rose up to 30 feet, which was one atmosphere. And I stayed there sucking on my oxygen until I ripped, my tank was empty. And then I went up to the top. And I thought that I may have overdone it and I may get bends and I could go through incredible pain and I could also die. The other problem was that I couldn't even see the boat anywhere because I'd been following this line and I'd also been drifting with the current and I, didn't, I had no idea where I was. I'd moved, I could see the island, but my boat was gone. I'd been drifting. But I'd also been totally sort of not thinking about what I was doing. I was caught up in something else that made me unaware of what was going on around me. Thankfully, I survived. <laughs> but, you know, for many people... Drifting is a slow, undetectable process. And often people don't realise how far they've drifted until they are in serious danger. And you know, even churches can gradually drift away from the scriptures, from God's word, from God's truth, and into error. Another thing about drifting is that we will never drift upstream against the tide. And so being faithful to God is like paddling against the current, paddling upstream, and it requires daily obedience. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 makes it clear that we are expected to be adding to our faith constantly. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. You don't get this sort of faith package and that's enough. You keep adding to it and you add goodness to it and knowledge. But that moment that we start moving forward in our Christian life, we start to go backwards. Thirdly, the power of the, of the current increases as we move downstream. And when we hear the noise of the waterfall, it's often too late to avoid tragedy. It's interesting with Hooker Falls that there's that 800-metre causeway before the main fall. But if you're in your kayak and you're in that 800-metre causeway, there's no turning back. You've got to see it through. You've got to go over those falls. And there's a really good clip on YouTube of a guy that kayaks down Hooker Falls. If you're out at sea and you can't see the coastline, you can't see the land, it's even more difficult to tell whether you're drifting or not and in what direction you're drifting. And in the same way, the further we move away from the Lord, the less concern we have about what we do. So keep close to the Lord because he will show you if you're drifting away from him. Fourthly, a drifting object can be a hazard to others. A ship adrift is a danger to other vessels in the ocean. A few years ago, a car ferry capsized in the English Channel after colliding 
with a drifting vessel. And you know, if you are parents and you're just drifting through life, you are training your children to drift. It was interesting, the illustration I gave last week about um, Jonathan Edwards and the legacy of highly educated people that served in, the, in politics in the US and contrasted that with a man called Max Jukes, who was a waster and a criminal and the legacy of people that were caught up in crime. Whatever you're doing as a parent, your children are observing and they're following you. You will reproduce yourself in your children. Ephesians 6 verse 4, Bring up your children with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Train your children not to be drifters, but to be intentional in what they're doing. Ephesians 4.14 warns us about being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Know where you're going in life. Paddle hard to get there. When I was at university, at Otago University, they had a, a canoe club. And a mate of mine was one of the instructors on this canoe club. And they, got, they were kayaking this river and they got to a point where there was quite a severe waterfall ahead and so they were getting out at this point but there was a beginner canoeer and in disembarking she capsized her canoe she managed to climb out but this guy this friend of mine went to salvage her kayak before it went down through the rapids but he couldn't stop and he went down the rapids and he lost his life just a young Man, there are consequences for those who drift spiritually. And Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 makes it very clear. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? We have this awesome salvation. God has, has saved us from drifting into hell. We have a promise of eternal life in heaven. Don't ignore that. Don't drift away from that. There is safety in obedience. You know, living for God and doing things His way is like living in a playground. You know, there's a playground that's there for, for kids to play on. And there's strict safety regulations. You can go on the swings, you can go on the slides, you can go on the merry-go-round, and you're not likely to hurt yourself. If you go out of the playground and you run onto the road, you're likely to do yourself harm. And so there is protection in the Lord. He puts a hedge of protection around us. But sometimes we can choose to be disobedient and to walk outside of his protection. And when that happens, we often have to suffer the consequences. Augustine said, Love the Lord with all your heart and do as you please. If you love God and people, then you can do what you like. Because to do anything, to, to commit a sin, means you've got to go outside of love. And sometimes we choose to allow these things to happen. 
And then we have a wake-up call. And at our men's breakfast yesterday, we heard about Russell's wake-up call in life where suddenly something happened and God's saying, hey, you think you're doing all right, but you've made a few mistakes here. And sometimes a wake-up call could be a health scare or it could be a financial problem. But things come out of left field to get our attention and to make sure that we're focused on the things of God. You know, guidance is not like walking on a tightrope where every single step has to be carefully considered. The Bible says, In all your ways acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. We are shown the direction to walk and we can walk confidently knowing that God is leading us. We don't have to pray about every footstep. We move forward in faith toward the vision that God has given us for our lives. I'm not saying that an obedient Christian will not have difficulties in their life. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it tells us that blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. We will go through trials, regardless of whether we're being obedient or disobedient. But God will be with us in the trial. And after a trial, we can always ask the Lord, How have I grown through this? What have I learnt? What good has come out of this? And so we can all examine our lives and ask that question, am I drifting? So what are the indicators of spiritual drifting? The first indicator is a decreasing desire to read and to study God's word and to spend time with the Lord in prayer. You know, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, to spend time with the Lord in prayer, you've got to sort of get on your knees or you've got to go to a certain place well I pray easiest when I'm out walking and there's days when I take Friday as a day off and sometimes I think I've just got to go for a long walk you know two hour walk and I'll spend my whole time praying and meditating and thinking and looking at God's awesome creation and feeling his presence because I feel closest to God in nature I feel second closest to God, well, maybe, maybe first equal, um, in worship. I mean, when you, when you come and you gather together and you're focusing on the Lord and you're giving Him your worship and there's a sense of His presence in the house, that is awesome. That's when God speaks to me. That's when I get revelations and ideas and I know it's the same with you as well so don't think of prayer as having to sort of sit still and follow through a prayer list see it as a place where you have a relationship with God where you're talking to him and he is talking to you and some of those things that he says to you come home and write them down in a journal because you can if you're in that zone where you're giving him your thoughts and your focus he will speak to you in special ways. So a second indicator of spiritual drifting is a lessening to desire to be among God's people. In Psalm 122, verse 1, King David said, 
I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And so what is your feeling when you come to, to church on a Sunday morning, when you come here? Are you coming more out of obligation? Or is it your delight to gather here with God's people and to worship God together? Is it your delight to listen to biblical teaching, to truths from God's word that can help you navigate this journey called life? But fellowship with God's people extends beyond church. It's good to see small groups and friendship groups where people gather together to encourage each other. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not equally easily broken. Have you got people around you that you can go to when you're having difficulty? If you've got to make a key decision and you're confused about what to do, are there people you can go to and you can say, look, I need to share something with you. Can you tell me what you think about this? Can we pray together to seek the Lord's guidance in this thing? But conversely, Wrong kinds of friendship can lead us down a false tra trail. Have you ever got into trouble through following a friend? 1 Corinthians 15, 32 and 33. Let's feast and get drunk, for tomorrow we die. You know, for people that don't know God, they've got no hope for the future. They say, well, let's just go out and party. We don't know how much longer we're going to be around for. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Are your friends leading you in the right direction, or are they dragging you towards danger? Believers who prefer the friendship of the world to that of fellow Christians are likely to be drifting towards the rocks. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have Christian friends. Thirdly, a lessening desire to share the gospel. When we accept Christ, Jesus blots out our sin and makes us new people in Christ. And this creates a desire in us to share with others what has happened to us. When we see people struggling in life and we know that Christ is the answer, we want to share with those people our own testimony of how Jesus has helped us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Stop loving this world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust of physical pleasure, the lust of everything we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. These are from the evil world. There's a greater love when you have that relationship with God. So what actions can we take to stop us from drifting? Well, the first thing is to keep paddling. And this involves diligence and commitment. 
Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. By doing this, you will never stumble or fall. Wow. Wouldn't it be amazing to never stumble or fall? And we can do that by working hard to move forward towards our vision in life. Secondly, watch out for the undercurrents. Watch out for those rips. You can't always see them. A key undercurrent is temptation to do something that you know is wrong. Don't be motivated by the spirit of this world rather than the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Jesus is to love, to give, and to serve both God and others. Some of you here have been to a, a David Riddell course, and David Riddell identifies some very powerful undercurrents. And some of these are subconscious. You can be caught up in these things without realizing that you're a victim of them. One of them is powerlessness. Some people, they give their power away. They drift through life saying, it's not my fault. Everything's out of my control. We've got to take responsibility for our lives and for our actions. Many people have an unbearable feeling that they've experienced in the past that they don't want to ever have to feel again. What does your mind default to that causes you anxiety, anger, or depression? If you feel those three powerful emotions, is there some unbearable feeling that your mind has been processing that makes you feel that way? A common unbearable feeling is the fear of failure, the feeling what if I get it wrong? What if I make a mistake? Remember, it's not fatal to fail. We learn most of our lessons in life through making mistakes. There's nothing wrong with making a mistake if you learn through that process. And then you will become strong and robust and mature. Do you fear conflict you'll do anything to keep the peace it's impossible to please everyone to be liked by everyone if we never risk upsetting people we can never serve God fully instead of confronting the bully we try to keep the peace and so the bully continues there's a time to tell people that you've endured their moods their abuse long enough and that you're sick of their anger, their bickering and their sulking. Don't just sit back and allow people like that to control and manipulate you. There's also a fear of rejection, especially from the people that we love. Some people give up their power and authority in order never to be rejected. Reclaim your sovereignty. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You have been made in the image of God. You can't stand before the throne of God one day and say, he made me do it. 
We are all individually accountable to God. Being a victim leads to resentment, anger, and despair. What about the fear of being humiliated? A determination to never embarrass ourselves. And that results in people being bound up in fear. God is able to grow us through every situation. Some people fear regret. They may have made a terrible mistake in the past and they fear having that feeling again. This may even result in a fear of commitment, maybe not even wanting to get married. Remind yourself of John of 1 John 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Do you love or do you fear? Another action that keeps us from drifting is to determine to go against the tide. There are so many tides in our society that can sweep us away, such as consumerism, as Clint was talking about. You know, in Baku, we didn't have a letterbox. And we came back to New Zealand at Christmas time, and we could not believe all the coloured brochures telling us what to buy for Christmas. Stuff that we didn't want, stuff that we didn't need. People are pressurised to buy something that they don't want and then they feel guilty about it. The advertising industry keeps telling us that we will be happy and fulfilled if we buy all this stuff. Business thrives on the dissatisfaction that marketing creates. The more we buy, the more dissatisfied we feel. We spend our time, energy and resources paying off things that we don't even need. You know, our approach to church can be the same. Will this church meet my needs? Rather than, what can I contribute to the welfare of others and to the kingdom of God in this place? The, the way to get out of a rip is to swim parallel to the shore to escape the current, or to swim diagonally towards the shore. Go in the opposite direction of those forces that are pulling you in their direction. Years ago, I was riding a trail bike on a sheep station just out of Wairau. And I was going down this four-wheel drive track, but then it turned into a sheep track. And the sheep had been walking that track for years and, and it got deeper, it started off this deep and it got deeper and deeper and deeper and I'm on this motorbike and I'm in this rut that's getting deeper and deeper and I'm thinking how am I going to get out of here and I had to sort of push the motorbike back, stand it on the back wheel and turn the thing around so I could actually drive back out of there. If I'd gone any further I would have come to a point where I couldn't go any further. And so sometimes when you're, you know that you're going in the wrong direction, you've got to take a deliberate action. You've got to stop. You've got to turn around and you've got to get the hang out of there as fast as you can. 
There are warning signs to help us avoid the ruts, the rapids and the waterfalls in life. And so determine that there will be some places that you won't go. There'll be some things that you're not going to do. There'll be some things that you will not say. And that last one's the hardest one. Because often we, we don't realise until we've said it that we shouldn't have said it. And then often it's too late and those words can start a forest fire. Reflect on your relationship with Jesus and maintain a strong anchorage by first of all being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Ephesians 6 verse 16, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. Get closer to God. Know more about him. Love him more and more. Anchor your mind in biblical truth. It works. It is truth. It has stood the test of time. Ephesians 4.15 Hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ. 3. Possess an unshakable hope. Hebrews 6 God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. If God has said something, stand on what God has said. He is faithful to his word. And finally, be involved and committed and moving in the right direction. And so in 1912, the Titanic sent out a distress call. The call was heard by an American ship, the SS California, which wasn't actually very far away. But they had shut down their coal-fired engines for the night. And by the time they fired up those engines and reached the Titanic, it had already gone under. If her engines had been fired up and the ship moving forward... Every single person on the Titanic would have been saved. And so let's keep fired up and purposely moving forward. Focus on Jesus' love and sacrifice for you. There's no place for retirement in the Christian life. Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. So let's, target, let's set targets and goals so that we won't drift away. Let's break every yoke so that we can step into our gifts and callings and make a difference in this city and in the world. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. You have given us everything we need for life and holiness. And so, Lord, we press into you. Lord, we know that when we're close to you, we're safe. We're not going to drift away. Lord, if you've brought to our minds today the fact that we are drifting and that we're in turbulent rapids, Lord, give us the courage to turn back to you 
to grab that life boy that you've thrown out to us and allow you to pull us to safety. Lord, we rest in you, we trust in you, our hope is in you. Amen.